Good morning, children of God. So grateful to see a few people here this morning. Thank you. And I hope, um, and I'm welcoming people from media land as well. We are very grateful to have you with us today. My name is Kathy Griever, and I'm one of the deacons here. And today we're going to focus on the scripture of Luke 135, as well as Romans 324, 325. And I have a lot of other scriptures sprinkled in. So you might want to write those down so you can make sure that you catch them within the text. I also want to tell you a little bit um, more about myself than just being a deacon. Um, obviously, mom and wife, I'm very proud of those two. But I'm also extremely captivated by the virgin birth. In my home, I have 125 nativity sets that stay up this year round. I remain in awe of the story that Christ came for people like me. Some of these nativities are handmade, and some, you, when you look at them, they're out of clay, and you can feel the fingerprints from the artist who made it. You can see knife scrapes in the wood from the individual who carved it, and then I have some that are just little pieces of cut fabric that are stitched together by little crippled hands that have made a beautiful act of God. No two are duplicates. That's a rule in my house, no dupes. I have been challenged on why I collect nativities instead of why I collect crosses or crucifix. Well, here's the reason, and I am so blessed that I get to talk to you about that today. Our devotion today is gonna to talk about Jesus' sonship and his incarnation as it being essential in the respect to atonement and justification. And that justification is ours. So today's DVO is about what we, as a church congregation, people, family of God, and you can find that on our church's webpage. I encourage you to go there and read all of the facts about what we believe, but specifically today, section three, is what clearly references the scripture of Luke 1 and Romans 3. It states, we believe, excuse me, we believe that the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, became man without ceasing to be God. We believe, having been conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, in order that he might reveal and redeem sinful men. And this is Luke 1.35. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. This speaks to the incarnation of Christ, a person who then embodies the flesh of the deity. The third point is we believe that the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished our complete redemption through his death on the cross, alone of representative, vicarious substitutionary sacrifice, and that our justification is made sure by his literal physical resurrection from death. And this is our scripture on Romans 3:23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as appropriation or an atonement by his blood to be received by faith. So let's talk a little bit about the truth that's all behind those 
three magnificent points of faith. Jesus Christ is evidenced throughout the Old and the New Scriptures as being adopted and adopted through the Nicene Creed by being the deity of the Eternal Son. Scripture endorses this unique nature of Christ and his oneness. I mean, we can look throughout the Old Testament, and seven years before his birth, we find validation that he's coming. Micah is recognized as a Masonic prophet. His strong predictions in the Old Testament come to support and identify for us that the Messiah is on his way. First, the birth, his, his predictions are first, the birthplace will be the, of the future ruler of Israel will be in Bethlehem, but he specifies it's not any Bethlehem, it's Bethlehem of Judea. He also prophesies that the coming ruler of Jewish background as one whose coming forth is from the old, from ancient days, synonymous with the eternal, again validating that he is the eternal son of God. So Christ's incarnation through the virgin birth comes some 700 years from Micah's prophecies. We hear and say that the word begotten in the Nicene Creed but don't confuse that with the idea that it means being born, because it actually means being caused to be. Every, even through the Son, is eternal existence. The Father, God himself, causes him to be. Never forget, God is the, cure, is the cause of his own existence in the flesh. Luke 1, again, 35, again, explains how this can be. Gabriel comes to Mary and says, and remember here, Mary is a 13-year-old girl. If she becomes pregnant, she will no longer, obviously, be a virgin, but she'll also not be married. So she could be stoned to death for what she is about to agree to. Gabriel speaks to Mary. The angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so that the Holy One to be gotten will be called the Son of God. The key word here is overshadowed. This is what makes it all such a marvelous blessing and miracle. Overshadowed in the Bible is to talk about the, having the highest manifestation of God's power. It means being filled over and over brimming with the flowing of the Holy Spirit. So even as Mary's womb conceives, carries, and delivers Christ, Mary remains a virgin, the sole earthly and nature, natural parent of Jesus. To fulfill the divinity of the Godhead and not be implicated in the sin of Adam, a new creation is dependent on a virgin birth, not of mankind, Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as Joseph, <clears throat> excuse me, his earthly father, are believed to be descendants of da King David, so as to fulfill the scripture in Luke 131 regarding the lineage of David. But he is more than that. He is the Son of God eternal. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us, the Son of the living God. The Son never acts in isolation from the Father and the Spirit, 
even at the time he has caused. For the external works of the Trinity are undivided. And here's our encouragement from all of this, if that's not enough. <laughs> Christ grew in God's guidance, serving God, teaching in the word and action for 30 years. The Bible says that the crucifixion of Jesus occurred when he was arrested and charged with claiming to be the son of God, a crime that can be punished by death, a horrible, painful, drawn-out death. Jesus was slandered and ridiculed. He was given a crown of thorns as the king. He was tortured. He was denied by his own friends and followers. He was hung on a cross and pierced in the side. He died and was buried. He did that for you and me. Christ's crucifixion serves as an atonement or a ransom paid for mankind's sin against God. And Jesus, Jesus' teachings... We sinned against Jesus' teachings. Atonement is the precursor or the justification for justification, the clearing away of our guilt and the deserved penalty for our committed sins. Christ's death satisfies God's justice and turned away his wrath for all of our mankind so that we can be declared righteous and clean as well. And Christ's crucifixion, all of our obligations have been met. The word atonement is defined around the paradigm of a series of events. In some ways, it's kind of difficult to grasp hold of because we're not real good at atonement in our lives. It's when the offense or the wrong has been committed and is evident to the victim. The victim then becomes estranged from the offender. Only if an offender's amends are successful does the victim forgive the offender. Jesus Christ is the only person to have lived on earth without any sin. I'm sorry, sometimes that kind of catches me off guard. It is only Jesus who is capable of carrying out the atonement for all mankind. Jesus himself expressed in John 10, I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No man take it from me, but I lay it down myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. He was a willing partner. He was an active partner. He was a 100% partner in cleansing us. Paul gives clear that the crucifixion of Christ and his resurrection is of no inconsequential matter. Everyone in need is forgiven because our natural condition is characterized by guilt. Romans 3, 23, our second focus this morning, reads that for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. It is not earned. Through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a ransom to pay by his blood, our received faith. 
And we talk about good news, but in my mind, this is not merely good news. This is astounding, amazing, great news. We are justified. Justification is a wonderful comfort. When we are justified, it means that we are not guilty of ever having committed sin. And in that moment, we are born again. Justification reminds us that Jesus Christ has done everything necessary for our salvation. Justification brings supreme blessings. It brings a presence of peace with God. It provides our future hope. Justification gives eternal glory to God because he does everything from everlasting to everlasting, merely for our salvation. The Father set his everlasting love on his people for all eternity. Out of the eternal love, he sent his Son to the world to save his people from their sins. Jesus Christ willingly came into the world and accomplished our salvation by life, death, yes, and resurrection. The justice of God is not against the sin sinner, demanding their condemnation, but rather ensuring them in, con in salvation. Being the eternal Son of God mandates the virgin birth to maintain the line of divinity of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Virgin birth, thereby, is dependent on Christ being incarnate, begotten, not made, one without sin, Atonement is the necessary precursor of redemption. Incarnation and redemption are the heart of the Christian faith. It's the central fact of human history. It is defining reality of all existence from that point forward. If Christ had not raised your faith, it's futile. And you still live in sins for resurrection of absolute necessity to the gospel message. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus paid for our sins. He was the atonement and payment of the garden of whippings. And on the cross, he suffered and paid the cost for our disobedience to assure our forgiven. The resurrection is the sign of the Father's acceptance of the sacrifice his affirmation of the sufficiency of what has been done. Christ's death seems to account for everything. Without mention of the res resurrection, a gospel message is no gospel. And the scripture will not allow us such an empty proclamation to be called good news. Please join me in prayer. Father, thank you for all that you have revealed in your love to us today. We ask to be sent from here in the power of the Holy Spirit, fan into flame the gifts that you have given us. Continue to reveal your grace and truth to us each day. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forever and ever. Amen. <laughs>